What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and really excited to do more listener questions. Guys, you've called in, and I'm here to answer those calls. I can't wait to go through those, but I want to give you guys a fun update. So I've been asking for you guys to call in these questions. Go to financialresidency.com slash question. Get your questions answered. I want to do this. And some of you have sent in questions of like, hey, where's Taylor? Where's she at? What's she doing? Why hasn't she kicked you off the show yet? So I think it's hilarious. And I've heard the feedback. She will be coming back on the show. She's agreed to give us another cameo. I'm excited to have her on. So look forward to that. She'll be on in December. So it won't just be me. I'll bring her on and she'll drop some knowledge bombs on us. Now, remember, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. I'm really excited that you guys want to learn about personal finance and better your financial lives. But don't take this as advice. Honestly, I don't think you should read or hear anything from anyone that you didn't take it as advice. Make sure you're doing your due diligence before making any of the big decisions. Honestly, it's just the smart thing to do. Now, if you're looking for a fiduciary in your corner, that's different. And we've got Physician Wall Services, myself, Casey, honestly, the entire PWS team will love to help you live out your ideal life. So if you're looking for a fiduciary, a fee-only financial planner, we don't sell any products. We don't have kickbacks, no commissions, just good, honest advice for a fair price. As you know, we're physician family owned, and you can book a free introductory call with me to see if we're a good fit for your needs. And of course, without some sleazy sales pitch, none of that here either. You can do that by going to physicianwealthservices.com. Now, I'm really excited to jump in and answer some amazing questions from all of you amazing people out there in our community. And I like doing these. So as long as you have questions, I've got the answers. Just like our Friday shows, as long as you have the desire to call in with your financial health assessments, we're going to keep doing those as well. So if you want your question answered, I highly, highly, highly recommend you go to financialresidency.com slash question or you can just click the link in the description of the show that you're listening right on the podcast player you're listening to me right now, and I will make sure that I get your question answered. So our first question is in. Let's head on over and listen to that. Hi, Ryan. I have a question about retirement account options. I will be graduating in June 2021, and I'm joining a private practice for the two-year tractor partnership. As a first-year employee, I'm not eligible to contribute to their 401k plan. What other options in addition to a backdoor Roth contribution do I have to park cash away for retirement during that one year as a W-2 employee? Thank you for all the knowledge that you drop on us. All right. Well, first, congratulations, graduating and being done, and now you're an attending. Awesome work. Now, Unfortunately, you've got that one-year exclusion. You don't really have much to work with other than the backdoor Roth. Now, I'm assuming that you don't have other pre-tax accounts to basically have that backdoor Roth open to you. So good time to use this money that you would have been putting in. So if you're going to put in $19,500 to max out the 401k that you don't have access to yet, that would be if you divide that by 12. Sorry, I'm throwing some math out here. That's $1,625 a month. Use that $1,625 every month to positively increase your net worth in different ways. So don't use that money to live off of. Don't save it for a down payment on a home or you know put it into other spending categories or savings goals. Think something like travel. 
Of course, COVID and 2020 are making that impossible for us, but you get the gist. Just don't get comfortable with that money because come June of 2021, when that rolls around, you won't have that money available to you because you're going to be putting in that money into your 401k. In all honesty, when June 2021 rolls around, you're going to need to make the full year of contribution within the six-month time period. So actually, you're going to double that amount, and it's going to be $3,250 a month that's going to come out of every paycheck in order to maximize your 401k by the end of 2021. So plan on that as well. If you are already an attending, I know this isn't to answer the question directly, but I know some of you change jobs. And so if you are already an attending and you're changing into a job that's just like this one that they called in with, then I think it's a little bit different because you could fully fund your account prior to leaving. So let's just say that you were going to leave by June of 2020. Not that you're going to just up and quit and be out the door the next day. So you actually planned this out. So you had the first six months of the year that you could have put double the amount of money away, that $3,250 a month. That would have been you maxed it out in June 2020 at the old employer. You start with the new employer July 1st. You work for them with a year. You're locked out. You can't do anything. But then come July 1st of 2021, you are now eligible to contribute to the retirement account. So what do you do? You double up. You put $3,250 in a month at the new employer. And now you've maxed out your 2021 employment 401k as well. So it took some planning, but you didn't miss out on this year. Now, coming from residency, if I would have said, hey, put $3,250 a month away into your 401k or 403b as you're leaving training, you'd have been like, well, I have $4 to live off of. Obviously, you're not going to be doing that. So you take with what you can get, the rules of the game, how we're playing in the sandbox here, and you do the best you can with it. So when it's all said and done, stinks that you don't have access, that one-year exclusion. It is typical that we do see that stinks, but at the same time, that doesn't mean the opportunity is wasted. So you can use it that $19,500 that you would have put in. You can use it to build up an emergency fund. You could use it to, let's say, refinance and pay down your student debt. You could use it to contribute to a taxable account. If you didn't have student debt or you already built up an emergency fund or you're already saving above and beyond and doing those things already, this should allow you to get there a little quicker. But if you've already done all those things, then contribute to a taxable account at at the custodian of your choice. We use TD Ameritrade Institutional with all of our clients. You could go there. You could go to Fidelity. You can go directly to Vanguard, wherever it is. And you can go contribute to a taxable account and start building up because that money is money for retirement. It's not to be used to spend on a vacation or down payment on a home. That money is going in, going to be invested for the long haul. It just isn't in a tax-deferred account. You're still going to need money in non-tax-deferred accounts, so it's okay. It just means that it's in a taxable account. It's just where you're holding it, but it's the same amount of money, and it'll do you well if you plan ahead and don't get used to living off that money. All right, our next question comes from a resident. Been to this one because I know we've had some questions around this. Hi, my name's AJ from Michigan. I'm a third-year family medicine resident, and I just had a quick question about the 50-25-25 rule. That last 25% that's supposed to go towards building your net worth or paying down debt or whatever it may be, 
the money that hits your paycheck. That's the phrase you use all the time. But the money that comes in my paycheck is already after contributions to my HSA, a traditional 403B, and a Roth 403B. So does the money that's contributed to those things count towards that last 25% or should I be calculating it differently? That's something that's been confusing me for a little while now. Appreciate the podcast and I appreciate a response. Thanks. All right. So I love this question and I know that several of you probably have had this question about how we came out the 50-25-25 rule and what we're talking about and why do we look at this on your net take-home pay versus gross. First thing I want to say though is You said the last 25%. This is all about paying yourself first. So it actually shouldn't be viewed as the last. It should be viewed as the first money that comes in. 25% of that immediately should be going out to paying yourself first. You pay the government technically first as money leaves from your gross, gets netted out, and then you're left with the rest after it goes to Uncle Sam. If you're a W-2, again, W-2 employee, we're not talking about 1099 here. But I want to just unpack a little bit about why we look at this after tax and a little bit more on the 50, 25, 25 rule. So one, I think it's easier to calculate. So if you have $10,000 come into your bank, but your gross pay was $14,300, I think it's easier to calculate. You can do it in your head and understand how much you need to save versus trying to figure out your gross paycheck and saving a different percentage. Let's say that was 20%. It's easier to talk about 25% of your take-home pay. And to be honest, most of you can't tell me exactly what your gross income actually is. Now, we could look at what it is in your employment contract, and that might make sense the first year. But every year that you're getting a little bonuses or inflation raises, whatever it means, immediately you actually can't tell me without going into your paycheck, digging through some paperwork, looking at pay stubs and creating a bunch of work just to get to the number. But in 10 seconds, you can go open your bank and say, hey, $10,000 came into my account. So part of it is it's just easier to calculate and we're just talking about percentages. You just fluctuate the percentage. That's how we get to looking at take-home pay because I honestly just think it's a lot easier. Now, when I talk about the concept of paying yourself first, obviously I've mentioned taxes in here, right? And taxes get taken out of your W-2 paychecks. So just like that money gets taken out, you can't go spend it. It's already going to the IRS. It's gone before it even hits your bank. That's really what should be happening with this 25% of your take-home pay. Now, I don't go into elaborate detail usually on the show on what we do and how we do it, but that should be really automated. That money should be allocated right away. And as it's coming in, it's going right out the door, just like your taxes, except for this goes to positively increase your net worth, not the government's. Now, when we talk about these percentages, sometimes people come back and be like, well, I heard that you only need to save 10% or I was researching online and blah, blah, blah. All right. After delayed savings and real earnings, let's be blunt here, you are likely pretty far behind those that you went to college with that didn't go into medicine, right? You were racking up student debt. Our average client has about $300,000 of student debt. Now, don't beat yourself up over it. That was a necessity. Now, if you racked up consumer debt and other things, which could have been a necessity if you did it responsibly, but we're not getting into that discussion. You weren't contributing to your 401ks. You weren't contributing to your IRAs. You weren't saving any money. It was going to basically taking out more debt. Then it was earning a small paycheck as a resident. Definitely not getting paid what you're worth. You were earning a small amount. You were struggling probably to survive. You had all this delayed gratification. 
But if we think about it in terms of like others that didn't go into medicine, yes, you're going to out earn them at some point, but you are super far behind those people now. So real quick, high level, I'm going to assume no growth. I'm just going to do this in my head here. I'm just going to look at like hard contributions. If you graduated college at age 22 and you were putting away 25,000 bucks into retirements, I don't care if that's a 401k, your IRAs, a combo of the two taxable accounts, whatever it is, you're putting away 25,000 bucks, let's say. Now at 32, likely all of you, and some of you are different, you graduate medicine with second career and all this isn't exactly science, so don't kill me on this, but you went through four years, I'll look at Taylor, this would be a perfect example. Four years of med school after college, three years of residency and three years of fellowship. She's coming out at 32 or 33 years old. She's already 250 to $275,000 behind the person that didn't go to med school. And that's without growth, no compounding, which it's like the eighth wonder of the world. It's amazing, but no comment, just hard con- contribution dollars. And then on top of that, having an average of $300,000 in student loans to still have to be paid back. So I view that the money that you're putting into your retirement accounts, yes, you're putting money in a 403B, that at 19500 I think it's critical, necessary, and should be done almost regardless of your situation. I think only extreme bad financial situations like massive amounts of credit card debt or personal debt and chronic overspending that fuels this different path that you're going down. Maybe you shouldn't be focusing on the retirement contributions, but honestly, they're not saving anyway. So it's not really the direct focus of the question here. But what I want to get at is that you're playing catch up. So right from the beginning, there's a lot of things that you need to get done as you're now earning or about to earn your attending paycheck. And one of those things is that if you're looking at it from a gross level and trying to justify, because you're extremely smart people. You guys can justify almost anything. You're trying to justify, well, I'll have this percentage, but I'm going to put away this amount of money for retirement. You aren't really factoring in the fact that you have catch up plus a ton amount of debt. And now to add fuel on the fire, all that delayed gratification that you've put in, all this blood, sweat, and tears into your profession, right? And you haven't been able to travel. You haven't been able to spend money because you didn't really have it. Remember, I've been there. We were in residency and fellowship. Like I remember this, you don't have a ton of free money and you want to go do stuff. So on top of now you've got this income and you still have to go do a lot of the things to play catch up, your level of expenses rises dramatically because now you want to go do all these fun things or finally get a car that isn't going to break down or finally actually have a house and stop renting. So you have a bunch of competing goals that are going to go exact opposites of each other. So you need to be putting money away into your retirement account, regardless of the situation. I honestly believe that other than if you said, Hey, I got a hundred thousand dollars of credit card debt. Well, that's your emergency. You need to put money in. If you get matching, great, put it to there. And then everything goes to slam that debt. But at some point you'll get out of that cycle. And that's kind of where I'm looking at this here. Then I would say you have to put money in your retirement accounts. And to be honest, you have to save more money outside of those retirement accounts. So in your IRA, but also in a taxable account in order to retire comfortably, because just saving money in a retirement account, like a four or three B at $19,500 a year is not going to get you a very comfortable, happy retirement. There's a lot more things to do on top of that. So all that to say the money that hits your bank, the take home pay, it's really easy to figure out what 25% of that is. And it's really easy to say, well, 25% of this number is going to go immediately out 
to positively increasing our net worth and that the rest of the money, that other 75%, is what goes to live and pay the bills and to do other things. And you've got a lot to catch up on because you're behind the game because of so many sacrifices you made to heal our population. And you are well compensated, I hope, for that sacrifice. But you have to get everything in order now. The last thing I just want to mention is that you had said a traditional 403B and a Roth 403B, like when you in your question. And I don't know without knowing anything on your situation, but, and again, this is not investment advice, but that wouldn't really make sense to be doing, contribute partially to both. So look into that, maybe you misspoke, but look into that if you are actually contributing to both, like why and the strategy behind that doesn't necessarily make sense to me. Hey, Ryan, it's Elle from Couple Money. Listen, I had a question and I know you're the person to ask. Hope you can help me out. So last year, we switched our health insurance plan. We're now on a high deductible plan because thankfully we're relatively healthy and we just use our doctor visits for well visits and preventative care. With that health insurance, we have a savings account and we're planning on maxing it out this year. So I'd love to kind of get advice on how to best use the health savings account this year and going forward. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Hey, L. Okay, so happy you called in this question. HSAs, we get asked about this a lot. So one of the things is that the HSAs are amazing accounts. They're, I think, one of the coolest accounts that we actually have at our disposal. They're triple taxed advantage. So they work like a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA, but only taking the best parts out of both. So if you made under the limit and if you contributed to a traditional IRA, just humor me for a second, I'll walk through this. You would have actually gotten a deduction for what you put the money in both IRAs, traditional and Roth, that money will grow tax-free. And then when you take it out in a traditional IRA, you would have to pay tax on that, which is a bummer. The Roth IRA, you pay the tax up front. You don't get any deduction or any special treatment. You just put the money in the Roth. It grows tax-free. And then it comes out tax-free. Okay, that's cool. It grows tax-free. I can now actually know I'm not investing alongside Uncle Sam and I've got all the money that's in that account is actually mine. Right? Most people think that, oh, all this money in the traditional setting is actually yours, but it's not. Uncle Sam is is footing part of that bill. They're in there. They're investing alongside you, hoping that you do great. Right, And when you take the money out, they're going to get taxed. Well, a health savings account, HSA, and what I mean by triple tax advantage is you get the deduction going in like that traditional. It grows tax-free and then comes out tax-free. So that's like the high level. I love this. Obviously, I'm getting nerdy, but I love this. To now have an HSA, it requires a high deductible health plan. And the annual deductibles for that health plan, if you're self-coverage only, is $1,400. And for family coverage, it's $2,800. And then the annual out-of-pocket expenses, so deductibles, co-payments, other amounts, but not premiums, do not exceed $7,000 for the self or $14,000 as a family. So you actually have to have a sizable amount of money saved up to cover medical expenses if you do have them because you have this out-of-pocket large cap. You have a high deductible in addition. So not everyone, it's going to be beneficial to have a high deductible plan for. I know that with Taylor being type 1 diabetic that we would be through our durable medical equipment in January. We'd spend so much that it honestly doesn't make a high deductible plan even feasible for us, which then means I can't have an HSA, even though I love this type of account. And I would love to figure out 
how I could do it. It just doesn't work for us. So it might not work for everyone, but it, L, it sounds like it's going to work for you, which is great. I also don't want to confuse this with a flexible spending account. That is something that's quite different. And in the flexible spending accounts, there's like this use it or lose it concept where you can only really roll over $500. The health savings account, one of the other powers behind this is that it doesn't have that stipulation in it. So let's assume oh, you've got your high deductible plan. Now we're all caught up on what an HSA is and you're investing money in it. The strategy now becomes, and sometimes it's called as a stealth IRA, but the strategy around this now is to leave the money actually invested and to cash flow any expenses that come up. And the reason you do that is because it's growing tax-free. And then when you pull the money out for medical expenses, now the CARES Act included a little bit more into what medical expenses are. So it includes like over-the-counter medications now uh, as an example, but you can move that money out of that account for those medical expenses at a later date. Doesn't even have to be in the same tax year. So there's no use it or lose it. It's let it grow, let it ride, cash flow, and then pull it out. You're saying, well, Ryan, that's great. I know like we're probably going to have all these medical costs later on in life as we get older and blah, 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 which I agree. But if you keep track of it and you keep track of the receipts and what you spend, and I'm talking about, sadly, pulling out a spreadsheet saying, hey, on this date, I went to here, I spent this amount. Here's a copy of the receipt. I'm saving it digitally. Everything's all archived, backed up, all that good stuff. In 20 years, if you said, hey, I've spent $95,000 on medical stuff, right? My co-pays and my medicines and, oh, someone broke their arm. We had to have a cast and whatever, right? It all gets added up. Well, in 20 years, that 90 whatever thousand I said can be reimbursed back to you, pulled out of your HSA tax-free. And then you zero out that balance of what's owed to you because you paid for it with your own cash. You didn't use what's in the HSA. And now in 20 years from now, you want your cash back, but it was able to grow tax-free. That's huge. That's a huge, huge benefit. So the strategy really aligns itself to don't use the funds that are in your HSA, invest those funds so they can not only you're contributing yourself, but it's growing with it. And then at some later date, either, look, when you're 70 and 80 years old, you're probably going to have a crap ton of medical costs. You'll pull it out and it'll be good. But if for some magical, amazing reason, you don't have a lot of that and you need money, then you can pull it out. Another thing is if you're going for financial independence, retire early and you've got $80,000 in your HSA and you retired at age 54, well, maybe you can use some of that reimbursement money that we just talked on and use that to offset some of the income you might need to live. You're paying yourself back for the medical costs you've already incurred. You're getting it out tax-free. It's not making you go up in tax bracket. And now it's another way to access money when you're younger than 59 and a half. So there's lots of cool things that you can do with an HSA account. I love this type of account. I think it's amazing. Honestly, I really wish we could use it. But for those that can, it's amazing. Just make sure that you're going to keep track of what you've spent. Keep track of your receipts as they come in. Don't wait till the end of the year. Just it's super easy now with tech. You can snap a snapshot of the receipt. You can drop it into your Google Drive or your Dropbox or whatever you're using. Super easy these days. I would track things on a spreadsheet. Each tab has its own year just so we're clear. Probably a tab at the beginning that has a summary of each year so you know how much 
you've actually paid a medical cost. So when you look at your HSA, you can say, hey, this amount is tax-free coming out and I've already paid this money so I can move it out at any given time. But the idea is let it ride. Hi, Ryan. My name is AJ. I'm a second-year family medicine resident in Michigan. And I just have a question about Roth IRA versus a Roth 403B. My employer recently started a Roth 403B, but I had a Roth IRA already started. So I guess I'm just wondering whether or not I should contribute to the Roth 403B or just continue contributing to my Roth IRA. If there's a difference, it's different on the limits I can contribute. I'm getting a little confused when I'm doing some searching. Thanks. Okay, our fourth question, I love this question, it came from a family med resident. When we're trying to figure out our one, the contribution limits, the same between the 403B and the IRA, and which one to contribute to. And we've actually had a couple of questions. So I love this question, and that's why I wanted to highlight this on the show. So the contribution limits are different for both because they're honestly two different types of accounts. Yes, they're retirement accounts, and that's what they're meant for. But one is an employer-sponsored plan, right? Your 403B or your 401k. Use those interchangeably for the sake of this discussion. And the other one is your individual retirement arrangement, the IRA. Now, most of us, including me, called it individual retirement account. But the legal, like IRS legal name is individual retirement arrangement. So if you see those, they're the same thing. That's the legal name, but we all call it individual retirement account. So high level, one's offered through your employer one isn't. The contribution limits are different. So your 401k, 403b for 2020 and for 2021 now are $19,500. That's the max that you can put in as the employee. Now, if you're 1099, you can set up like a solo 401k and the employee portion, you got two hats, the employee portion could be 19,500, but you take it off. And now the employer hat that you're putting on can actually contribute a percentage of the profit up to 56,000 and now in 2020 and now in 2021, I believe that's been moved up to 58,000. Your IRA contributions are very different and unfortunately a lot lower. You can only put in $6,000 into your IRA. That is a combo between traditional IRA and Roth IRA. Not saying you mix and match, just it's shared between the two. It's not like 6,000 to traditional and 6,000 to Roth one or the other capped at $6,000. If you are over age 50, which I know you are not, but for those of you that might be listening that are, that limit is $7,000. Now your employer may or may not have a matching program for the 401k or 403b. You definitely need to check into that. If they do, first thing I think to do, and again, this is not investment related advice, but this would be, let's call it general in nature here. What I would do is I would contribute up to the match. Right. So if it's 3%, 4%, 5, whatever that number is, contribute up to the match. Then you need to make a decision on which account you want to fully fund. Now, if you have consumer debt, I talked about earlier in the show, that's probably going to take a priority over everything else. But you'd have to look at which one you want to maximize. Right. And that's where you're at with this question. And so I would then take the next deeper step. I know that in the IRA, I can pretty much buy whatever I want, any ETFs, all that good stuff. So if we go look at your 401k or 403b accounts and you have crap investment options, well, obviously you're going to go up to the match, but then the rest of that money I would put into the IRA until that's full at $6,000. And then I'd come back and I'd put whatever I can in the employer in order to match it, even if the investment options are going to be weaker than your IRA, because you still want to get money into those retirement accounts. 
this is a really only a strategy if you look at it and say, hey, 19,500 plus 6,000, that's 25,500. I don't have that much money to put in. Then you need to make have this decision. Once you're in attending and you're making more, or if you have a spouse that makes more money, so as a household, you have more and you can max it, then this conversation is, is very easy. Max both if you can. Now, really, there isn't any difference between the Roth and the traditional in terms of what we're talking about in terms of limits or in terms of matching. So just so you know, and the, the principles of what I've said here are going to hold true for both. So determining which one you need is a bigger deal. And the one that you should look into as a resident, if you have like federal student debt and you're going for PSLF, that is even a much bigger deal than deciding should it be the 403B or the IRA or the investment options. Really, you want to nail down, should I be doing a traditional or should I be doing a Roth? That's very, very important. That's the first step in this process. And I think if you have federal student debt, that is going to complicate the process a bit. So hopefully this was helpful for all of you. I love answering these questions. I get them in. I press play. Honestly, I just give you my unfiltered advice. So hopefully it was helpful. You can go to financialresidency.com slash question. Happy to answer anything that you bring up, even if it's fun joke ones. Hey, you can even click on it and give me a joke. And I'll probably play it on air because I think that stuff's funny. But I want to get you guys more involved in the show because honestly, I have so much fun doing this and it's to help you guys. I know I'm giving out a bunch of information, but when I can relate it back to specific situations that all of you can kind of relate to, I'm seeing by the questions that are coming in that you guys are learning and growing and it's helping you understand the concepts better. So anything I can do to help you guys understand this better, I want to do that. And so I think a lot of the questions, the financial health assessments, it's really helping connect all the other. I mean, we have 300 shows now or something crazy. I think it's connecting all that stuff together and really helping you guys understand how it might relate to you, what you need to look for, questions you might need to be asking, all that fun stuff. So financialresidency.com slash question. You can also click on the link in the podcast app, the description of the show you're listening to right now, and that'll take you there as well. Super simple to record a question. Just literally push the record button, talk, click stop, and it's done. If you want to leave me your email, that's awesome because I can email you and say, hey, the question went live. But if not, no big deal. You can remain anonymous. You can say your name. Anything works. Just get the question asked. Remember, there's no such thing as a dumb question. It's just dumb not to ask them. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll see you on Friday. Cheers. Cheers. 